Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Martin Seeds is interested in weaving personal narratives with our relationship to place, politics, conflict, and myth. His artistic practice is dedicated to an ongoing examination of his Northern Irish identity. He does this through fascinating visual experiments that exist somewhere between analog and digital imaging technologies, skillfully blending method and meaning to radical effect. He's fascinated by imagining new ways to provoke an emotional response in the viewer, encouraging us to deeply reflect on what an image is and the conflicting experiences of identity, history and culture. The making of the work and the presenting of the work is, is so, so important. Like how it engages with the audience, how it wakens them up or enlivens them or creates some sort of emotive response. Good or bad, if I get a response, I'm really, really quite happy. But I want the work to do something. And that's where I get a real thrill and real pleasure from. That I've opened up someone's mind or, or encouraged them to think about something in a different way. I'm Jen Fletcher, and this is The Messy Truth, Conversations on Photography. This episode is the first of a three-part special made in collaboration with Scene 15 Gallery. The Troubles Generation, a project by curator Vivian Gamble, invites artists who grew up in Northern Ireland during the Troubles to shed new light on the impact of living in an era of intense sectarian violence. For those of you who are not familiar, Scene 15 is an independent emerging gallery and project space in Peckham, South East London. It champions contemporary photography with a focus on emerging, diverse and experimental artists who are expanding the boundaries of the medium. Let's jump into my conversation with Martin Seeds. I wanted to start by asking you, where did you grow up and how did it inform your creativity? So I grew up in Belfast, in the east of the city, in in a sort of typical working class sort of Protestant area. I was sort of born in the 60s and then sort of grew up in the city all the way through the 70s, all the way through the Troubles. And in the 80s, after I sort of, uh, early 80s, after I got my higher education, I decided that it was time for me to leave. It, It was a kind of a long journey because I didn't jump into photography until quite late on. I started, I was kind of like a, more of a bit of an IT geek. I just kind of would spend, as a kid, I would just spend hours in my bedroom soldering circuits together and playing with little sort of computers and, and making sort of making things happen on sort of very early home computing so I became this little sort of nerdy geeky kid would sit there with the soldering iron and, and and old BBC computer and whatever and just like playing Atari games sort of hiding away in my own little fantasy world as it were so I left about 86 and started a career in IT you know, when I decided to leave the whole sort of uh, IT side of things and, and uh, I decided to go and study photography as a mature student and I resisted for a long time the urge to make anything about Northern Ireland at all. I didn't really know what I wanted to make work about. I just knew I didn't want to do that job anymore. But I was encouraged quite a lot 
and it took a couple of years before I really made a project about the the effects that uh, growing up there had or or trying to understand or address, think about and open up myself to the experiences that I had because up to that point I had really just pushed it away to one side and it was through encouragement from quite a lot of the tutors on my BA photography course that came out really. It was quite a long journey but slowly unravel with uh, with encouragement, I think. That's so interesting how all the dots are kind of connected for mm. you. I was curious, when did you realise that the world you occupy, kind of your individual experience, could be art? Wow. Well, it's such a gradual thing. Okay, so there's a cutoff point. There was a, there was a project that I made. I had a particular tutor who was Dennis Doran. I believe Dennis was a photojournalist and he had had a few trips to Derry. And he had a few trips to Derry in the 70s. So he had seen and photographed some of the troubles. And we spent many evenings in the pub just talking about his experiences and about what he experienced and trying to encourage me to kind of have a better and deeper understanding of myself through making the work. So it become a bit more cathartic because it was a real blocker for me. I just I just refused point blank, refused to discuss my my kind of growing up there at all and and so there was a point which I decided to engage in a project and it's things just became very interesting I delved into history which I never delved into before I became much more educated in a way that my schooling did not permit and I guess that happened probably about 2010 or so I think that sort of all kicked off but you know up to that point you know when when you're growing up in in Belfast it just feels where Northern Ireland or any sort of conflict zone you for a long period of time if it's what you're born into you don't know any difference. Everything becomes normalized because you're not questioning, you're not asking the questions that you should ask that I had asked in later years because don't feel there are, there are any questions to ask. This is just the way it is. And so it was about 2010 or so when I first made a project, started sort of really sort of digging into history, thinking about my position, who I was in this whole history of, of Ireland and Northern Ireland and sort of unraveling and educating myself, as I said, in a way that my my schooling just didn't permit because I wasn't really educated at all in any sort of Irish history, Irish geography. Northern Irish history, Northern Irish geography was really quite an odd education um, when you look back upon it. It took quite a while. It was a slow, gradual thing when I finished my undergraduate course. My major project was basically a massive, big project. I just filled a portfolio box, filled that to the brim with, with pictures uh, of this really big sort of interrelated and sort of quite poetic and abstract sort of set of mini projects which were interconnected to form, again, this kind of relationship that perhaps what I talked about before, that way in which I, I like to discover how things that look like they bear no relationship upon each other, but when you place them close together or when you investigate them a little bit more thoroughly, you start seeing the relationships and the pathways between them, how you can reach uh, one place to another through these kind of tangential pathways. And imagery photographs especially are a really good ways to do that. I think they, they book so many possible outcomes, possible avenues that it gives you a lot of leeway, I feel, to make these sort of arrangements and relationships and associations. So you're building these kind of little sort of pathways and connections across these sort of larger bodies of work. It was a long and gradual journey. That's a really nice pathway to actually talk about assembly because I'm so fascinated by this project, which was one of your early projects about sort of related to the troubles. And it's this fascinating body of work that speaks to the fragility of the political landscape, but told through the flora and fauna surrounding the Northern Ireland Parliament building. I mean, you kind of beautifully described it then about these sort of tangential effects. But can you talk a little bit about that body of work and kind of what it held for you? 
I was quite a solitary kind of kid and uh, we didn't we we lived you know probably for me it's probably about 40 minutes walk to to Stormont it was always this kind of beautiful parkland really and I didn't really understand significance when I was younger and it's only through sort of research and history and and reading about the origins uh, of the assembly building of Stormont and of the estate itself that its significance became stuck in my head I had this obsession with the space and I started making small pieces of work there it's a very beautiful landscape so easy to make work in a beautiful place but but it's good it's making it relevant and making it powerful is a difficult thing and so that body of work just slowly came about after making some smaller projects about or in that space i kind of wanted to make work about politics but not about politics i wanted to raise awareness of how fragile and how slightly futile the whole political system is in northern ireland it's a delicate system of a forced coalition in which there is no opposition and there's only one other place in the world which has a similar parliament so the work itself i, I kind of wanted to address the idea of politics in an abstract way i decided from the early onset would be nothing about politicians within the work and it would be a project that would be allegorical in nature and i wanted to make those sort of gentle associations between the common culture of the landscape that surrounded apartment buildings that land which was that estate which is a beautifully maintained set of grounds around the apartment building open for the public with those grounds they function so well they all make sense there's an order and a function to them and it's in great opposition to what goes on actually inside the apartment building itself which is so dysfunctional and so the assembly project became a collection of a large project of, of different parts which were all about the common sort of ground in which everyone can take outside of that sort of political chamber as it were it's a very dysfunctional political chamber it's unlike any other political chamber there is in a world you know it's it's a very odd place so the idea for me with that was to build a set of like little small sort of mini sort of projects sort of smaller paragraphs within a within a bigger sort of essay i suppose and each of those would be thinking about a particular aspect of the political landscape its fragility its sameness its difference there's one piece there which is a large red piece of a tree canopy and that started out as a moving image piece which kind of failed because my camera failed on the day but i managed to pull a, a still frame and it just became this metaphor or i guess reference to the blood and the sweat that had been spilled upon the land not that particular land in particular but just the the notion of the land of the island of Ireland of north or south that kind of amount of turmoil that was there and the responsibility that those in power had to make sure that those kinds of acts the spillage of blood that death and trauma and violence represented by the image did not happen again it happened quite naturally you know it, it was quite an ordered project i decided there was going to be six parts to it really and and you know there's six parts because there's six counties and so i just thought that's an easy thing just okay make it six so so six became this sort of codified number in this project and and some other projects as well and so there was six parts to that project the parliament building itself is heavily codified as is the whole of northern ireland it's a very sort of codified sort of place for example if you look at the the parliament building it's this this big white portland stone structure that looks like the white house it's 365 feet wide one foot for each day of the year so that the the protestant community are reassured 365 days of the year that their british um, government or their loyal um, the loyalist kind of government is there for them uh, every single day of the year there's a portico at the front it has six columns and uh, in the portico and supposedly 
there's one column for each of the six counties of Northern Ireland. And there's all this kind of symbolism is wrapped up in, in the building itself. And then the grounds themselves, if you look at an aerial map of the grounds, you'll see just how, how symmetrical the grounds were designed as well. Very formal, very symmetrical. They've since been a bit more relaxed. But as I say, the idea behind the project was to create this kind of loose connection between the, the common space of the ground. I'm really interested in the emotional tone and, and kind of the conceptual landscape you've created within this body of work. Firstly, I guess for me, it feels quite tender in contrast to the toxic nature of the politics that you're explaining. Mm. But what is also really interesting to me is that this body of work feels perhaps in contrast to the more recent works like Masks or No Country for Young Men, which we can kind of talk about in a minute. But I find those more recent works quite overtly political. And Mm. I'm curious what you learned from making assembly that perhaps informed those future works. Took a long time to figure out whether I should show the mask because I've always shown these very, you're so right, I've shown these very kind of these projects which are allegorical, which reference indirectly violence or politics or issues regarding sameness and difference and, and the troubles. And it was quite a leap for me to move from one to the other. I've always tried not to come down on one side or another. I grew up in a, as I say, in the East Belfast sort of loyalist community, but I kind of I'm aware of the history. I'm aware of the fact that, you know, all of Ireland used to be a, was a British colony. And it's at at a point in time, you know, after many insurrections and rebellions that the the island ended up being divided with one community's interests being served in the north. So it set a particular tone for me in the work in that I felt that at a certain point of, of my research and understanding about where I sat, in terms of history there, I felt that I had to be careful about the language that I used and the position that I took because I'm, I'm essentially from planter stock, as they call it. I'm one of the colonists, as it were, from my background. So that's one of the reasons why I always took this kind of sort of gentle, sort of poetic steps. After the uh, the assembly work, the masks, I just, it was a, it was a massive big leap, but it, and it did, it wasn't something I walked into straight away. It was something that I thought about a lot and I realized that it was a big leap even for some some friends of mine who I spoke to it about they were just sort of like why are you making this stuff this is not you this is not what you do and I said well it, it is what I do it's just not the aesthetic that you're used to you've, you've kind mm. of you've put me into this little shoebox where you feel that all my work's going to be about poetic trees and bushes and skies and birds and it's like well you know sometimes sometimes you're you have to raise your voice a little bit and sometimes you have to raise your voice through imagery and uh, I've seen this news story and uh, these statistics about the rise in, in punishment beatings. And I was really quite appalled. And that reaction that I had to that it was, I think, the reason why I decided to make a, a body of work, which was just shouting about this massive big issue. And it had to be aggressive and it had to be maybe slightly grotesque. And it, it had to grab people's attention in a way that the more subtle, soft landscapes just wouldn't do. So that is the reason why I went down the avenue, because it needed it needed to look like that in order to draw attention to the issue. Do you think by then as well, you know, you spoke at the beginning how you kind of had some resistance to making work about your personal experience growing up there and, and the political situation surrounding it. Do you think by the time that you'd got to where you were when you were beginning to think about masks, do you think some of those boundaries had started to dismantle a little bit and you felt more confident to address the situation more directly? A, a little bit, but uh, but it's you're right in a sense. I think maybe you're hinting at was masks a bit of a turning point, a bit of opening up. And it, 
it, it was, but at the same time, I couldn't really visualize how else I could visually tell a story about this sort of horrible rise and in, in, in these dreadful punishment shootings and beatings that was going on at a period of time. And so for me, yes, I think that was a bit of a turning point. I think it opened myself up. It was a bit of a brave step, I guess, as moving away from the, the usual aesthetic that I would, would people normally associate my work with. And so, so yeah, I think from, from an aesthetic point of view, it opened up my work, but I don't feel that it's changed the way in which I would address any of the issues. I would still address them still very cautiously. And I'm very careful about the aesthetic of the work. The aesthetic of my work, even within the assembly project, if you look at that project, there's like there's six different parts to it. But the aesthetic's all very different. I mean, they're, they're all of trees and shrubs and leaves, sort of flora and fauna, flora, really. But the aesthetic of all the different components are very different. And I'm very careful about the aesthetic of the work and ensuring that the aesthetics are always addressing the issues or related to the issues that I want to, to raise within the work. So I feel that while... The Masks was a complete shift away from more kind of gentle, maybe sort of landscape work. The aesthetic was correct. And it was it's all really for me about the aesthetic. I, I couldn't really think of any other way of doing it. Um, I tried lots of experiments. And they, all, they just seemed not to be acknowledging the scale of the issue or, mm. or the graphic nature of the issue. And when I came upon this particular way of making the work and I, I use you know particular technologies to make images to, to create a particular aesthetic I, I feel that very careful about how the aesthetic itself draws you into the work but then also delivers this this message as it were and, and careful about which aesthetic that I use so the masks were made using a technique that I discovered when I was studying um, which was using the screen of a smartphone or, or a tablet. So the screen of the smartphone or tablet becomes the light source and the image source. And instead of using a larger or a piece of a negative film, and you basically take the phone screen, which the phone which, which is illuminated. So the phone screen is illuminated. It has an image on the screen, and you in the dark room you bring it into contact with a piece of photographic paper and you get an image it's harking back to the the very early days of image making in photography which is all about contact prints and it's just just changing over the source of the light and the source of the image but what it gives you is a particular aesthetic i wasn't too interested in the technology i don't really care what types of screens that i use it's really very much about the technology are just tools for me to use to create the aesthetic that I need in order to deliver the project and deliver the messages and deliver that kind of emotional response in the viewer. Although my background is all very sort of technology based from my IT background, I think another thing that I draw from that is that technology is just a tool. I don't get attached to it. I don't really care about brands and fancy labels and cameras and stuff. They're just tools like, you know, hammer and chisel. They perform a function, they work in a particular way, and I use them in the way that they were designed, but then also sometimes in slightly different ways in order to to create that particular look and feel within the work. It's so interesting, the process of making masks, because there's something very sensorial that comes out of that quite technologically based mm. approach and the work itself I mean it's so disarming and I feel like it haunts you long after you've le left the gallery and, and I wanted to talk a little bit about I guess how you were feeling emotionally at the time of making because I think I read that you began thinking about it also around the time of the Brexit vote which opened up 
some political wounds in Ireland as well. So how were you feeling emotionally about all of this kind of this multiplicity of political past and present merging? I was just feeling quite angry about everything. My spidey senses were tingling when all these sort of things started to connect in ways which I could see were going to be catastrophic. Our politicians weren't really admitting it, but I could just relate to how this was going to be so bad in Northern Ireland. It was going to be dreadful. When I was making that work, my emotional state was just one of complete, like I was just very sort of downbeat and feeling quite sad, but also feeling quite angry about like, how is this ever going to, it's just not going to contribute to any sort of lasting peace. It's going to be more turmoil and upset in Northern Ireland. It's going to be another wedge in, in, in sort of a, a process of peace and reconciliation. And lo and behold, it has. I'm not any sort of seer. To me, it was just like so obviously written um, that that was going to happen. The mass work was made very fast. And you can see that in some of the work. Sometimes it would make 20 or 30 in a day very, very quickly. Just very roughly, I made them with a tablet, with a 10 by 8 inch sort of uh, tablet. And I made them very quickly. And there would, the, the tablet would just be slapped down and, and just like, and it would be just put into the chemicals and then another one and another one and another one. They would just be done very rough, very quickly. So there, there's a little bit of a, a little bit of an emotive, a little, little bit of aggression there, perhaps, mm. coming out when I was making the work. You'll see that in some of the some of the masks, if you look at them, that the the tablet, the uh, the iPad actually slides around a bit. So you see this kind of blurring and smudging that happens. Sometimes the iPad is not square on to the paper. It sits at an angle. Um, that's just me just putting it down, the next one, the next one, the next one. And so there was this, this way of making which kind of, I guess I don't think it was a like cathartic. It was it was just that I was in a particular frame of mind. And normally, when I make these the prints using screens, I have I'm a bit more careful about the placement of the device on the photographic paper. But um, with masks, I just was it felt a little bit careless in the in the way I was making it. It was either, as I say, a bit careless, a bit rough. But the end result, I feel, for a body of work, uh, as you said, it, it kind of it haunts you. And I'm, I'm, really, I'm really pleased that you said that. So thank you. Thank you for, for saying that, because that's the idea. I want it to be overwhelming when you've seen it and to stick with you when you walked out. They were like specters, as it were, of the past, but they were also kind of lingering uh, you know, in the present. And, and there's potential there for, for them to, to develop in, in the future as well. There was a very strong emotional response when I was making them. Also, very different when I was walking around Stormwood making assembly, which is, you know, it's a beautiful experience, you know, it's a very different experience. Again, those parts of the assembly work were made using my phone. I would take pictures of little plant fragments with my phone then take the phone into the dark room and make these tiny, these beautiful little small fragile plant fragments. The same sort of approach, the same sort of soft, hazy images, but the way in which the work was presented gave a very different response to the viewer. I thought there was something quite interesting reflecting on assembly and masks about the way that there's this connection between the method of making and the meaning of the work. Mm -hmm. And and I just wondered how important is it for you that the process is also a meaning maker in itself? It may not be the dominant meaning maker of the work, but that there's a connection there. Just remembered an interesting discussion that I had with uh, with someone when I was think when I was studying on for for my masters, I was drawing a parallel between the different technologies, so the traditional analog technology, and then the, the sort of contemporary sort of like 
phones and tablets and how those two back those were kind of like a binary like you know like a you know like analog mm. digital like protestant and catholic north and south good and bad you know, all those kind of so because i grew up in a very binary society so i was drawing that parallel i was encouraged not to bring that out not to make let that take over the work the thought was that it might be something that over becomes overbearing and that all people will see in the work is the process for a long time i would say that some of the work was made by using a contact print from a screen of a phone but i wouldn't really go into too much more detail than that for fear that the work would just become uh, about process that that is just somebody showing how clever they are with a particular technique and so um, it is there i have for a long time underplayed it it's only maybe now that i've got a bit more confident and people have seen larger bodies of work and engage with them that i feel more confident in in talking about that a lot more and in making those relationships because i do feel they are still there um, and then not something that I want to in my way of doing is say, okay, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to take this contemporary technology of the phone, uh, which is like uh, one half of a binary of the tradition. And that's a really great way of bringing it into my work. That didn't happen like that. The discovery just happened to happen in the darkroom one day when I got annoyed with some other students at university because they took their phone out and they cast a light and I just got annoyed. That's so funny. If that's how it was born, that's crazy. Yeah, it was, it was like that. <laughs> Everyone's had it in a shared dark room. It's like, turn that bloody phone off. And then I just looked up, hang on a minute. So phone, it's a light source. Uh, like what if the light source was the image on the phone as well? And I just basically, within about 20 minutes of that incident happening, I basically took this really old phone out of my pocket. I just slapped it on top of a piece of crappy old resin paper. And there was my first image. And it was just like, oh my God, this works. It's like, wow, this is amazing. It was hazy and it was rough. And and so I sort of, you, know, you, you figure out ways in which you can refine the process a little bit. It's all very soft and delicate. And then, and then you sort of like, well, you know, you, you put that to one side and you think, well, that gives me an image that has a particular aesthetic, a particular look and feel to it. And so knowing that that's the case, then how can I use that for future projects? But it just born out of those kind of moments in the darkroom where you get a little bit cross. I love that. That's brilliant. No Country for Young Men is your latest series that you exhibited at Scene 15, which harnesses appropriated Belfast school yearbook photographs from sort of 1965 to 66, which depicts these young boys on the cusp of adulthood at this time of great upheaval. And I'm so fascinated to hear a bit more about how this project was born and why these yearbooks hold such resonance for you. So No Country for Young Men is the second body of work, which I used appropriated imagery because the masks were all appropriated to the stock imagery online. And the thing about the masks was that it just all happened pretty quickly when I when I seen a particular news story, whereas No Country for Young Men took a very long time to actually be produced. I came across, I think it was probably about 2014 or something, I came, I just, I just accidentally found these, these uh, very low resolution scans, uh, photography sharing platform. And, and, and they were really emotive pictures. They were, the, the scans were very low resolution. The scans of a full page of a, of a 1960s or 19, like 1960s school yearbook. I actually didn't believe that it was actually from Belfast because school yearbooks are not really a thing in, I don't believe they're a thing in Ireland. They're not a thing in the UK. Certainly not in much of Europe. They're pretty much more of an American thing. And I just thought, oh, this must be some sort of Belfast name city in, in North America where, where school yearbooks are much more prevalent. Certainly with those kind of grids of images and the names down the side. And so I started going through these kind of scans. And then I noticed that there was an advertisement or two 
for some local Belfast bread. And then I kind of realized that actually, no, this, this is a very rare find and that it was actually a school yearbook from sort of mid 1960s in Belfast and Northern Ireland. I've since the discussion with, with others have said that they, they don't know of any others like that. And so there, they may well be, but, that, but I found them about 2014 and they sat around for a long time. I was completely moved by those pictures, those, those kind of sort of gaunt faces, even though the quality was very poor, you could, I could just tell that's where the confusion came from. You know, I thought school yearbook must be America, but then the faces were telling me something else. I could see that kind of very pale looking sort of like Irish or Northern Irish kind of faces on there. And there's a particular sort of attitude maybe to some of the poses, which I thought were kind of more of a less less American slickness of the 1960s and a little bit more of a uh, of an Irish kind of look. So they sat around for a long time and I had a lot of debate and discussion with people about how I could use them or if I could use them. And, and obviously, you know, they are of young people. It was a very emotive time. I was very torn about what I could do if I could do anything with those pictures. So it took quite a while for me to get the confidence to do something with them. And in the end, what, what, what became very interesting to me was, um, again, looking back at the, the process by which they had been made um, originally, which was with these kind of halftone sort of dots, and that multiplied or the adding on to that, the very low resolution scans and a little bit of pixelation created a certain sort of aesthetic, which was really prevalent when you enlarge the pictures enormously and which caused the images to kind of become more difficult to discern the closer up you got. So once, so I realized that that scale was really important because as you blew the pictures up, you had to stand back further and further and further for, for the image to actually take a form, to take a, a shape, the face of a boy, of a schoolboy. It just sort of very slowly and gradually came into being. Yeah, it took quite a lot of confidence for me to actually release the work and quite a lot of conversations with friends. There, there, was, there were some decisions that I made about the work. So one was scale. And the scale, as I say, was really about making sure that there was that the viewer would stand back in a, in a space and would stand back at a, a distance and, and then see or take in the whole of the space and all of the schoolboys together. And the reason why I wanted that was because I didn't want there to be a focus on any one particular person. I didn't want names to be involved because I didn't want anybody to be memorialized. I wanted to be about this time in which any child, no matter what side of the divide that they were on, would be in this very odd situation where they were figuring out who they were as human beings, as, as adults, as young people in the world. They were looking for those behaviors, you know, how do I become or what, how do I behave as, as an adult in the world, you know, what are the morals and values and then all around them and um, why they're trying to figure all this out at this sort of like uh, this adolescent point in, the, in, the, in their life, all around them, their environments is, is like divided and violent and aggressive. There's conversations being had over the dinner table, which perhaps are maybe shaping their, their feelings in a particular way or their, their attitudes in a particular way, which hardens them to, to viewpoints. And so I kind of wanted to not focus on any one particular person or any one particular schoolboy, but as a collective kind of feeling, a collective point in time for any young people growing up then. And so so scale was important, that standing back. So pushing the viewer away from the pictures, creating that distance. And that distance was kind of, I guess, maybe you could think about that distance as, as being able to think about uh, the distance from the actual point in time or something to do with time. And then the other thing, as I said, I didn't want anybody named at all. It had to be 
a collective experience. It had to be something that everybody would uh, understand that could be experienced or, or had been experienced by everyone. It was a shared thing. Certainly not certainly not a project which I just leapt straight into. If you look at that project from the beginning, as I say, the scans were very poor quality. Each individual schoolboy image was about the size of a postage stamp. So they, they ended up being enlarged to about a metre and a half. So there's there quite a bit of process in doing that, which okay, is revealed this kind of very soft, very blurred image as you got close up. Further back you got from it, the, the picture then revealed itself and then they revealed themselves as a complete, overwhelming stare of all these young men, sort of compelling you to address them and the things that they went through and the things that they witnessed, the things that they heard. Because at the time, correct me if I'm wrong, you know, young men like this would have potentially had pressure put upon them to join paramilitary groups, Mm -hmm. which is another kind of sort of undertone of the work in some ways or undertone of that sort of looming presence that you kind of talked about. Yeah, I mean, that certainly I had a really great conversation with with Sean Hagen and Sean went to a Christian Brothers school where the school with this particular yearbook came from. Although, again, that doesn't really matter. It's it's, it's a shared experience. But but he spoke of memories of of boys in his class or his school being approached either by the clergy or by paramilitary groups. I can't put my hand up and say it was the same in my school, but I, I do know there was some of my classmates would have necklaces on uh, or or particular sort of tattoos which showed their allegiance to some paramilitary groups so again there was this kind of codification um, which wasn't really spoken about you, you don't talk about certain things you don't raise your head above the parapet you recognize um, you become street aware you become street smart and you kind of understand your place and what to say and when to say it as it were yeah certainly these young schoolboys would definitely have been some of them would have been approached some of them some of them would have went into the clergy i think sean mentioned for him and his classmates you had two big options you did you you know did you did you go into the clergy uh, go into the catholic church the seminary or did you join up with one of the paramilitary groups wanted to be one of the boys as it were so that was that was always a pressure always a pressure on both sides i mean you, you think back of that it's just so despicable to think that you can prey on young people in that way to corrupt and and change their viewpoints about the world and prey on them and use them in that way as fodder there are ideologies there are you know there are kind of points of view that all need to be respected but really using sort of like indoctrinating young people in that way, I just feel is, is, is morally wrong and, and, and sort of a, a shows just how corrupt everything became. Yeah, it's very dark and very powerful in the work, really, everything that it starts to unravel. Mm-hmm. I, I wanted to touch a little bit on scale because it's so interesting to me that you talk about this sort of directive to stand back, which I absolutely agree with. But something that really dawned on me when I saw the work was actually when you were up close, it felt like something really interesting was happening the way these images which were hard to decipher at that proximity sort of were huge and kind of loomed over you as the Mm. viewer and it felt like to me it kind of opened up this conversation about the nature of conflict and how inescapable it is when you're living through it especially if you're young and you know you're just coming into your life and trying to figure out everything that young adults deal with Uh, that's not really a question it was just a just an observation I made 
it was really quite odd because I had conversations with people in the gallery who, who were standing really close and they were just saying it's, 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 they find it really quite disturbing on their eyes when they got too close because it looked like everything was kind of sort of slightly dancing and moving around because mm. there's so much softness in the image. And again, you're right, you were so overwhelmed with the scale. So all you seen in front of you were this field of all these kind of slightly changing blobs and, and slight pixelation here and there. So there was this kind of like, almost um, slight sort of visual disturbance when you got too close and you stared at the images. Certainly, I remember Viv talking about that as well. That seemed routine. But again, that schoolboys was another way of presentation. And presentation has become much more important in my work, right from the assembly project to the masks and now to the schoolboys, that, that the, the way in which the work addresses the viewer or the viewer addresses the work. I think the work addresses the viewer. I bring the work to the viewer as it were in the way that, or to the audience, in the way that I feel will create sort of a powerful and emotive response in them. And that's something I've got much more confident with. I think the schoolboys was probably the most confident one because there was so little in the show. It was, it was, it was 10 enormous images pinned onto the gallery wall, very little text and 10 pictures of these of, of these schoolboys just staring at you, sort of confronting you, asking you to like consider them and what had happened to them. So that presentation for me, I think, will will certainly always play a part in my work. But I feel that the schoolboy one was, and it's stripped back because it was so minimal, that I feel it's, it's given me a lot more confidence to, to, to push forward and, and ensure that all future projects will consider the presentation of the work at a particular scale or in a particular way, as I say, that really reinforces the messages and creates an emotive response. Yeah, I wanted to talk about audience with you because I think it's quite interesting. I mean, you know, the reason why Scene 15 and Vivian are working on this project is because... Of, of perhaps like a question of visibility around the troubles and what happened for, for the people who were there, who you've touched upon several times, were encouraged not to talk about it and everything was very quiet to also the wider political world, you know, who don't actually necessarily know a lot about the intricacies of what happened. And I think even a lot of politically aware folk don't understand some of these facets of division that you're exposing through your work. And I wondered how you think about your relationship with the viewer and navigating their sort of varying proximity to this history? That's a great question. <laughs> but it's a very hard question because um, I always think about, um, one of the things I do think about is like, well, if I was to present this work in the north of Ireland, would I present it in a different way than I would in in England or, or well, just outside of, of outside of Northern Ireland? And I haven't really had to, address that yet because I haven't actually shown any work in Northern Ireland ever no one's ever asked me to I've asked about it I've inquired but uh, no one wants to show my work there which I hope will change at some point very soon it's a bit of a complicated question so if I can just unpack a little bit whenever I was growing up and, and, and was at school I went to a Protestant school and in my school I wasn't taught anything about Irish history or Northern Irish history, or geography even. So I didn't know anything about um, the shape of the land, how it was formed, um, major industry in the north or south of Ireland. It's not, you know, you could just, you could completely ignore that Republic of Ireland was a separate country. Like, I think, I thought as a school kid, I would learn about my the, the place in which I live, the province in which I'm from in the United Kingdom, which was the north of Ireland. I learned absolutely nothing about it at all. Nobody taught me anything about the place in which I grew up in, nothing whatsoever. Um, I could tell you about um, carrot farming in, in Norfolk, but I can't tell you anything about um, major farming or industries in Northern Ireland or anything about its history whatsoever, which is really quite sad. And so 
that silence was kind of born from like even through my education it just wasn't discussed as it were and when I started learning more for myself actually really just rewinding a little bit when I came to, to England in the mid 80s I was really quite shocked and very confused about why the rest of the world didn't know anything about Northern Ireland because it was it was quite an unusual little place. Obviously, it's my home and it's like the most beautiful place ever. And it's like, um, it's very violent and there's lots of horrible things that goes on. But it, there's this kind of like strange conflict in how people behave. And, and I kind of, I couldn't understand why people didn't know about this, how people were so ignorant about it. And, and, and I feel that when I'm making the projects, I guess there was a little bit of a, you know, maybe I'm trying to correct some of that, that lack of knowledge. Maybe I'm just trying to build awareness. But a lot of it is really... And perhaps some of it is more about me telling myself or reaffirming to myself the things that I found out. There's still a big question mark as to if I was able to show masks, would I be able to show it in Northern Ireland? Would I show assembly in the same way? Would I show the schoolboys? Would that get the same reaction? How would that work? How would I word my conversations differently, my statement differently? It's a very delicate situation. I don't really know how I would or if I would be able to. I've had some good feedback about about the schoolboys and in, in that when, when I when I started posting them on social media, I had feedback from one of the daughters who went to that school. Her, her father wasn't one of the schoolboys that I selected, but she recognised the faces and the uniform. And she asked me if it was a particular school. I said yes, it's this school. Did your dad go to the school? She said yes, my daddy died when he went to that school. I said, could you find this picture for me? And so I was able to find the picture and just sort of like crop it out and send it to her wow and what was really quite lovely was that i mean i mean i mean she's uh quite a, a mover and shaker in the art scene in northern ireland and you know she obviously is educated in the arts so she knew what i was doing and why i was doing it and she knew there was there's that sense of ambiguity and understanding that it was a feeling and emotional state of mind or a point in time that affected everybody but I, i'm not sure whether i would get that response from a more kind of broader audience i think i think that work might be problematic there Saying that, I will be showing it in Dublin. So I'm, I'm getting closer. I'm edging closer towards the border of the North mm. Northern Ireland with my work. And so it will be shown, uh, a little bit of it will be shown uh, in, in July as part of the, the uh, Photo Ireland Festival. And then hopefully it'll be a solo show next year, which will include more of that work as well. It's a quite, a, quite an emotive subject. I always, I always wonder how my work will go down in the North. And, and maybe secretly, I feel that not showing my work in Northern Ireland is is maybe a good thing. Yeah, that's going to be really interesting to see how people engage with it, isn't it? That's going to be mm. really powerful. I feel quite frightened by the whole, whole, whole thing. So that's why I, I kind of, yeah, it frightens me about what, what would happen. <laughs> so, mm. so, so, so in a sense, I feel like I want to avoid it. But, but in one sense, I feel like I really need to do it. Yeah. It makes me think and reflect on how incredibly personal and loaded this work is. And I wondered, you know, you've got numerous bodies of work now that you've been making around this subject, which unravel all of these different facets. And I'm curious what it's been like for you to make them and, and really spend this focused time considering and interrogating the cultural and political systems in which you grew up. It's a bit scary. because <laughs> <laughs> No, it really is. It's very, because I never, you know, because I came to photography quite late and I never thought that it would end up 
being in, I mean, any creative will tell you that it's 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 a it's a hard journey. You really have to be so committed, and and I, I've worked that out. You have to be so committed. You have to like give up certain things, uh, and you really have to give so much to the your craft and to your your practice and making. I think it's it's helped me a lot to understand a little bit more about the history of my own. The, the place where I grew up and, the, and perhaps a little bit more understanding about other people's points of views and opinions but it's really helped me address a little bit a lot more about who I am I really enjoy making that work I really enjoy exploring and finding out new things and, and finding those subtle relationships and uh, for me it, the making of the work and the presenting of the work is is so so important like how it engages with the audience how it wakens them up or enlivens them or create some sort of emotive response, good or bad. If I, if I get a response, I'm really, really quite happy. But I want the work to do something. And that's where I get uh, a real thrill and real pleasure from that I've opened up someone's mind or, or encouraged them to think about something in a different way, even if it's just through making something that's very beautiful. I hope that the the undercurrents of it, they are, they are alive and awake enough and intelligent enough to understand the undercurrents that are there, that a pretty picture of some some landscape is not just a pretty picture of some landscape to finish up i wanted to ask you the question that i ask everybody at the end of the show and that's what matters more to you the process of making the work or the final images themselves the process i think the process definitely i've always been a problem solver and i think artists maybe 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 it's more about photographers i don't know but i, I always think like for me I, I love to be a problem solver i love to have a problem and be able to work out with the pieces of kit that I've got, how to create some images to look the way I want to look um, with with particular bits of kit that I've got. So I love solving the problems and I get a real kick out of that. Producing, you know, 20, 30, 40, you know, like a couple hundred, I, I made like like 300 mask prints. And that was, that's that's kind of a little bit more tedious. It's still enjoyable, but but you, you kind of, you've solved all the problems and it's just kind of, it's about production then. But working out the process, that's the fun part. Well, thank you so much for sharing your journey and, and the making of this really important work, Martin. It was so great to speak to you. Thank you very much, Jim. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening to The Messy Truth. You can find more information about today's guests in the show notes. Theme music is changed by Judd Greenstein from the album Awake and design is by Ruby White. You can follow updates on the podcast on my Instagram at Jem Fletcher or subscribe to my newsletter at gemfletcher.com. Feel free to leave a review on Apple Podcasts.